Well, good evening, everyone. Yeah, I barely made it here tonight. I was down in the Bay Area, and we had a meeting down there, and uh, I came up 101. Uh, I, yeah, you're laughing. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of funny when I'm sitting in the Novato Narrow, looking at the clock, going, dude, I got to be there. They're expecting me. So fortunately, I navigated through the Novato Narrow, got home, realized I didn't print out my message notes. So quickly, get on the com computer, the printer, push the button to print, and you know what happens, right? All it does is spit out papers. It's got big E on it. I'm looking at my clock. It's getting past 6 o'clock now. Thanks a lot, Barb. <laughs> so anyway, needless to say, I have my message notes, and I am here. But doggone it, isn't life a challenge sometimes? Doesn't it seem like when things are going to go wrong, they do go wrong. Right? Wrong. Well, the reality is, guess what? There's a scripture that says, God subjected us to futility. Look that one up. God subjected us to futility in hopes that our hearts would turn to him and that we cling to him. Okay? There's a purpose behind it. Do you know back in Genesis, when God created Adam and Eve and they fell, after they fell, that God said, okay, Adam, you're going to work the ground, but guess what's going to happen? Weeds are going to grow up. Always going to be weeds. Always going to be problems. Always going to be challenges. Always going to be difficulties. And you, Eve, going to have pain in childbirth. Challenges, difficulties, struggles. If you look at the person next to you, which I don't want you to do because they might get a little weird doubt. But if you look around in this room, I'll bet you the majority of us are dealing with some difficult challenges right now. My guess is that this is the way life is, especially as Christians. We have an enemy who's against us. We're swimming upstream. Do you know that? We're aliens, the Bible tells us. We're strangers here on earth. So Peter says, don't be surprised by these trials and these tribulations. Don't be surprised. There's challenges. They're going to be every day. Some of them are going to be little ones like I had today, and some of them are going to be big ones. Some of you are struggling job-wise. In this room this size, I know there's people that are struggling with jobs or not having a job. Marriage relationships, as Nathan said, Terry and I work with matters of the heart. We work with couples. And we see a lot of couples coming in that struggle. And we struggled. We struggle with family relationships, brothers, sisters, moms, dads, kids. Challenges and struggles. Financial challenges and struggles. Health challenges and struggles. They're all around us. This past Monday, Memorial Day, open the newspaper. And I look on the third page. 
and I see Corporal Larry Bailey. Some of you know, remember this, maybe you looked at the paper too. Triple amputee, both legs gone and an arm gone. That's all I saw Memorial Day was just different pictures of these war veterans dealing with challenges. And here he is in a wheelchair at age 24 trying to deal with the challenge of no legs and a missing arm. So this evening, I thought we would take a look at a passage of scripture that helps us, I think, as we share together, and, and believe me, I, I'm in this with you, okay? We're going to look at the scripture, and we're going to see what we can glean from this passage of scripture that will help us navigate through the challenges of life, all right? Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. And as you're turning there, I'd also like to pray for tonight. Father, I dare not go any farther without calling upon you and asking you for your word to go out. Because your word is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword able to pierce our hearts, soul. And so I'm praying this evening for everyone here that we would just get something out of this passage tonight that will help us as we face the challenges that we're in right now or that will come around the corner or they're going to be here. Uh, it's not if, but it's when. And so help us, Lord, to see from this passage of Scripture how we can live a more, uh, a more powerful and strengthened and peaceful life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to take a look at uh, a moment in the life of Jesus, and it's in Matthew chapter 26, and it starts in verse 36. And most of us know this passage, but what we're going to do is we're going to unfold it tonight a little bit more, and we're going to unwrap it a little bit more. This is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and this is the night before he's facing his biggest challenge. Now, throughout the life of Jesus, he faced lots of challenges, right? But this is his biggest challenge right here that he's going to face. And let's find out how he handled it. What did he do that maybe we can, you know, take, a, take to ourselves and, and when we face our challenges? So let's read together. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible... May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to them, could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, Father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. 
And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away, went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. You know, throughout Scripture, when you look at the life of Jesus, at times you see more God characteristics. You see more of his, his godly and his uh, infinite abilities and his infinite character. And there's other times that you see more of his humanity because the Bible tells us that Jesus was the perfect blend of humanity and God. Okay? So here we have in this glimpse in Jesus' life, I think we see a little bit more of his humanness, a little bit more of the reality the Bible says that he left heaven, he set it aside, and taking the form of a bondservant, in Philippians it tells us that he gave himself over to obedience to death. He did it willingly. He emptied himself so that he could live in the body like we are, so that he could experience the things that we experience, so that we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in everything, the Bible says. So here he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I'm going to make this a real simple message tonight, okay? There's two things that he did. One is he reached out to his friends, and the second thing he did is he reached out to God. Okay? In the time of his most difficult challenge, those are the two things he did. Reached out to people and his friends, and reached out to God. Now let's look at the first one, reaching out to people. You know, most of us have a lot of friends, right? Most of us have friends everywhere. But how many of us have a small circle of close friends? How many of us have one, two, or three close friends that we can call upon? You look at Jesus' life, he had the 12 disciples, but here, if you look at this passage, he brings them into the garden, and then he says he took Peter and two sons of Zebedee along with him. You can get this picture that he separated out these three guys, and he said, come with me a little bit farther. I need you. I need you. I need you to be with me. You guys are my close inner circle. I have 12 disciples, and i got a lot of acquaintances, but I've got you guys, and I need you right now. And I need to call you apart, and I need some help right now. And you need to be here for me. So he called upon... You see, the Bible says that it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for you and I to take on life by ourselves, to be independent, to, to, to run the John Wayne or the Clint Eastwood or the whatever you want to call it, you know, kind of man or woman that just says, you know what, I'm independent and I don't need anybody else. Now, it's hard because people are difficult, right? It's challenging. I have people I know who said, I'm done with people. I'd rather have my dog and my cat and that's all I need. Okay? That's not where we're supposed to be. That's not where God intended us. You know, the interesting thing is, as I was, as I was studying this, 
Do you realize God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are three people in a relationship? They're three distinct beings in a relationship. Does that give you a picture of what we're supposed to be about in relationship? We're supposed to be in relationship. Hebrews says, do not forsake your own assembling of yourselves together. This is a habit of some. But encourage one another. We're made for relationship. We're made for connection. We need to reach out and we need to touch people. And we need to have people there for us. Especially during challenging times. How many of you were uh, present during the uh, bike race that came through California? What was it called? The Amgen? Amgen. Amgen or whatever. Did you, on our stage up here, did, did you hear about the guy that five minutes or five miles before the end of the race, he crashes. He has a flat tire and he crashes. And somehow in those five miles, he gets up and he wins the race. He wins the race. And I thought, how the heck can a guy crash five miles from the end? They've gone 170 some thousand, 170 thousand, 170 miles. Seems like a thousand to me, I'll tell you. 117, that's what it was. But anyway, five miles from the end, he crashes. So I, I kind of dug into that and asked some questions. And the reality was that if, if you saw this, these guys are riding along and behind him is a big, long trail of cars, for a car for every rider. And as soon as something like this happens, that car pulls up behind him, helps him get a wheel on quickly, like within 20 seconds. His teammates come back, surround him, and pedal away, cutting the air. And if you know anything about bicycling, they circle around him so that he doesn't have to work that hard. And they do all the work for him. And then right within a mile, they let him go, and he sprints and wins the race. Is that a picture of how we need people at times during challenges? That's a beautiful picture of how we need people around us. We need to be able to... Life is just too tough to do it on our own. Life is too difficult. There's too many, too many challenges to face. If we need a small group, we need people that will be there for us. And you know, the reality that Jesus... As I look at this passage, I think we need to reach out to people, to a small group of people, close, safe people. But you know what else he does here? He's really vulnerable in this passage. And you and I can learn from this that when we have a small group of people, we need to do as Jesus did right here. He said when he brought Peter and, and the two sons of Zebedee, he said to them in verse 38, then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Be vulnerable. Let down. Remove the masks. Let go. Let people in is what this message is all about. How many of us can really say that we have that friend that when we're struggling and we're really hurting, when we're really in pain, we can say to them, what Jesus said to these guys, my soul is overwhelmed. I am hurting. I am in so much pain and confusion and struggle right now. And I just need you to know that. I need you to know that. I need you to be here with me. How many of us would risk doing that? How many of us would, 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 would even attempt to do that? That's a difficult task to be honest and vulnerable and real with, with, with people. 
But I think that's what God is really asking us to do, especially when we face challenges. I was in Kohl's um, probably, I want to say six months ago, the department store. And by the way, I flip my glasses up and down, so if it's distracting, sorry. But um, I was in Kohl's uh, about six months ago, and I'm waiting in line to buy a shirt. In fact, it might have been this shirt. You guys like my shirt? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, might have been this shirt. But anyway, I'm waiting in line, and there's this woman with a little boy, probably a year and a half, two years, in her arms. And she's up front, and the boy is just visibly upset, crying loud. And I'm watching this scene unfold there. And the mom is just kind of holding him, comforting him a little bit, but not, you know, not, not doing much with him, but just allowing him to cry. And it lasts about 20 seconds, and they leave, and they go out the door, and there's this older lady right behind her in front of me in line and the clerk. And as soon as the lady left the building, the older lady looks at the clerk and says, I just can't believe that that woman just let that baby cry. I can't believe that she didn't stop him and put a stop to that crying and, and, and do something about that. It was so annoying to me. Da, da, da. And the clerk is going, yeah, yeah, I, I know. I know what you're saying. And I'm listening to this. And in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, that mother handled that little baby brilliantly. She comforted him, let him cry, let him have his emotions, took him out. And I couldn't stand it anymore. I got a little Ross in me. And I had to say something. <laughs> So I said to the older lady, I said, are you kidding me? You wanted to stop that kid from crying? You wanted her to shut him down? Well, guess what? That leads to a guy, 40-year-old guys, who can't cry with other guys. That leads to men who are struggling with their emotions, who can't go to other men when they're in deep pain and struggle and challenge. I said, no, that's not the way it's supposed to be. She handled it beautifully. She thought I was from another planet, I think. But anyway, I, told my, I, I gave her my, my two cents. Um, but it's true, isn't it? It's really true. I mean, there's, you know, I grew up in an era, and, and, and see if this resonates with you. I grew up in, especially you guys, big boys don't cry. Big boys don't cry. I don't know where that ever came from. That was proliferated my generation. It's been passed down for years. But big boys don't cry. And here's another one. Children are to be seen and not heard. Who wrote that book? <laughs> Who wrote it? I want to wring their neck. But that's what we grew up under. And therefore, when we go through challenges and difficulties in life, how are we going to reach out to people? We're going to do it on our own. And I've struggled with that all my life, being an independent man who doesn't know how to reach out at crucial times in my life. I'm getting better at it, but I struggled with it for a long time because I grew up with these kind of things. You look in the Bible and you find emotions. You find people loving on each other. You find Jonathan and David who kissed each other. That's what it says in 1 Samuel. They hugged each other and kissed and wept together. I love it. Okay? That's what Jesus is saying here. Come over here. I am, I am in pain. I am sorrowful to the point of death. I can't imagine what he was going through. But he was vulnerable. 
And then he asked those guys, he asked them for what he needed and what he wanted. He said, I need you to stay here right with me. I need you to be with me. I need you to be right beside me because I am hurting and I'm facing the biggest challenge of my life and your presence is all I need right now. That's what I, I find from that. Stay here with me. All I need is your presence. All I need is you to be right here next to me. And then he says another phrase in here. He says, stay right here and keep watch. Keep watch. And he tells Peter, you know, you need to stay awake, keep watch, because uh, what did he say to him? Keep watch. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. You will fall into temptation. And what I get from Jesus telling him to keep watch is, it's kind of a picture comes to my mind. It, you know, I like cow, old, old westerns, okay? I read old western books, and every time they stopped out on the prairie with the cattle drives or anything like that, they always had somebody that was keeping watch. Somebody that was circling the camp, looking for the enemy. Anybody sneaking up, any rustlers coming in. And Jesus is saying to them, I need you to be right here next to me because I'm hurting big time. And I need you to keep watch, not only for yourself, but for me. I need some help. I need you to be there for me. And I need you to keep watch. And we need people to keep watch in our lives, don't we? We need people that are close to us, that's our small circle of friends, that is keeping an eye out for the enemy and the way the enemy's attacking us. So that they can come up and say, wow, I think you're getting beat up right now. I think you're going through it. Let me help you out. Let me hold on to you. Let me lift you up. Let me encourage you. That's what it means to reach out to people. That's what Jesus is modeling here. Reach out to people. Ask for what you need. Keep watch. And the last thing on reaching out to people, and this is a tough one, but it's right here in this passage. Guess what? When you reach out to people, and you depend on them and you trust them, especially during difficult times, guess what you can expect? Disappointment. Right? That's what it says in there. How many times they fall asleep? Numerous times. Expect disappointment. And you know, as if we're going to waggle our finger at anybody else and say, they're disappointing me. Guess what? How about us? in those times when people call upon us. How about when people call upon us? We're usually undependable. We fall asleep. We're more into our lives than their lives. We're kind of self-centered. Our sleep, our things are more important during those times, right? And a lot of times we don't even understand how bad a situation is with someone else. We're kind of clueless. I, I look at these guys in the garden here and I think to myself, falling asleep the night before he's going to be crucified? What's going on? You know, how come? I just don't think they were aware. I don't think they were aware of the, the, the enormity of the situation. And a lot of times when we're going through challenges and we'll talk to somebody, they might not even be aware of the enormity of what's going on in our life. We may not even be in, uh, aware of the enormity of someone coming and sharing their life with us. We're just, I, I want to find a better word than clueless, but we're just in a fog sometimes. We're so 
into our own world and into our own things that it's hard sometimes when people come out and reach out to us or we reach out to other people. But it's necessary and we can expect disappointments. Last year, um, I had to go through some physical things, uh, some surgery, and um, it was for a number of months a real challenging time for me. And I had some good friends that I was able to reach out to. Sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't. I was really struggling through it. But one of the interesting things was I have two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother. And I really expected my older brother to be there for me. He and I have, a, have had a little closer relationship over the years. Well, when I was going through all this, he went silent. I didn't hear anything from him. I didn't hear a thing from him. And that surprised me. That surprised me. It disappointed me. It hurt. You know? But, you know, I look at that situation and I look back and I realize how many times, Alan, have you not been there for your brother, too? It's a reality check. It's, it's just an awareness that, and it's not to take him off the hook or anything like that, but we're all susceptible to undependability at times. And so my other brother, I mean, my older brother disappointed me, not what I expected, but guess what? My younger brother came through in a way that I've never seen my younger brother do. So disappointment, and I got from my younger brother a connection that I never had before because I was going through this. So you just never know. You never know what's going to happen. But you know the interesting thing? Even in the midst of this disappointment, Jesus didn't let it go. He went to those guys and he said, hey, listen, you're falling asleep. Can't you stay up? He confronted them. He confronted them in a gentle way. He just said, you know what? I'm disappointed that in my hour of need, you guys fall, fall asleep. And I think for you and I, sometimes in our intimate relationships, part of intimacy, part of growing deeper with someone is to be able to bring up some hard things sometimes and being able to say, you know what? This didn't work. And, and my brother and I over Easter actually had a conversation and I found out more about him and why he wasn't there for me. And we talked about it. We didn't just let it go. Friends don't just let things go, okay? We gotta talk about those things. We gotta bring them out. We gotta, we gotta deal with them. And so that's what we see Jesus doing in this situation, reaching out to people, being vulnerable, asking for what he needs, and you know, unfortunately, disappointment. So that's, what you, that's, what we, that's the first thing we need to do. We need to reach out to that small group of people. The second thing that we find Jesus doing three different times is reaching out to God. Reaching out to God. Now, this is a given. Most of us know this, right? During challenging times, we reach out to God. But I think if we look at this interaction between Jesus and the Father, I think we're going to pick up some things here that are kind of interesting about his dialogue. So when he reaches out to the Father, the first thing he says, or the first thing it notes here in the passage, is that After he talked in verse 38, then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed, sorrow to the point of death, stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. 
So not only did he call out his, you got to picture this. He had his group of 12 disciples stay there, calls out three of them, stay here, pray with me. And then he pulls off a little farther to deal with God, to talk to God, to pour out his heart to God. One-on-one, intimate setting. He pulled away. He pulled away. And the question for you and I is, do we pull away on a regular basis, away from the crowds, away from other people, away from the activity of life, to spend that one-on-one time dialoguing with the Lord? That's such a crucial component. And you can't happen right at, the, you know, right at the end of the challenge. Oh, Lord, I'm facing the worst crisis in my life. Now will you hear me? This has got to be something that's nurtured over time. This kind of one-on-one contact with the Lord, with, with, with the Father. One-on-one contact with the Father is nurtured over time. So here's Jesus, pulls away. And, it, and throughout Scripture in Mark 1, it says, very early in the morning, While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Scripture has that throughout where Jesus pulls away from the crowd. This guy was was surrounded by the crowd, and yet he found time to pull aside and dialogue with the Father. And how many times do I talk to people or hear myself saying, well, it's just too busy. My schedule's too full. I've got too many games to go to. I've got too many things to do, and I just... It's tough. It's tough to carve out time. It's tough to carve out time with God, and it's tough to carve out time with my mate. It's just tough. Well, yeah, it's tough. But it's got to be done because the challenges are going to come, and we're going to need to have that quality time where we feel comfortable pulling aside and talking to the Father one-on-one, going to the Father one-on-one. Reach out to the Father. And Jesus calls him my Father. My Father, Jesus taught us to pray, Father, hallowed be your name. This is an intimate conversation between dad and son. This is an intimate conversation between dad and son. And you know, I've told myself this, I've talked to other people about this, that that our relationship with God is 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 an intimate father-son, father-daughter relationship. And we need to nurture that. And and I say that with trepidation because I run across so many people who have a hard time relating to God as father. Relating to God as father. My father? Well, you didn't have the father I had, and it has tainted my view of God. And I don't even like the word father. Father. I can't even use the word father. And some of us are stuck in an emotional stuckness with a dad that mistreated us, abused us, criticized us. I sit with men all the time who tell me horrific stories about dads. Horrific stories about their dad that they could never come to their dad as Jesus is doing here and cry out to him and say, I'm hurting. I'm struggling. But I'm going to tell you, that's the kind of relationship the Father wants with us. And if you don't have that relationship with the Father, tell him. Be honest with him. Tell him you don't have that relationship, but you know the scripture says I got to do that. Help me weed out and help me explore where I'm stuck with my Father view. 
because it's got to be my father when you're in the midst of a huge challenge and a huge problem. It's got to, you got to be able to go and say, my father, father, dad, dad, it's difficult right now. And I am confused and I am hurting. And I just don't know which end is up and I don't know what to do. My father, please. So Jesus went and said, my father, you know, another thing I see in this passage when he goes to the reaches out to God and the word is persistency three times, keeps going back, keeps going back time and time again. Jesus told a number of different parables about persistency in Luke 11. He said this one, suppose one of you has a friend. He goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine is on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give anything. Well, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness and persistency, he will give, get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, and this is Jesus saying, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks uh, receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. God honors persistency. Now the other scripture says you don't want to go to him flippantly, but if you really mean it, and Luke tells us in his account that Jesus went earnestly and with drops of blood, earnestly, persistency to the Father three different times. If he can do that, he's, that's the model. That's what we need to be doing when we call upon the Lord. But you know, the greatest thing in this passage to me, the greatest part of this passage is the, what I call the realness of Jesus's relationship with the father. Do you see what he says here in this passage three times? He says, father, I want you to know, I don't want to go through this. I, I really don't want to go through this. I, this is too much. I can't, I can't go through this. If there's any possible way, take this away from me, take this cup. He knew what he was going into. He knew exactly what this was all about. And he said to the father, father, if it's possible, take this away from me. And he said it three different times. He, he, was, he was as real as real can get. Did he go there and say, oh, heavenly father or heavenly God, thou art the great majestic. He didn't go into this, you know, flowery presentation of a prayer. He came to him with a real gut level. This is what I want. This is what I need. This is difficult. I don't know how I'm going to make it. Please, please, if there's any way possible, that gives me hope. As a little, yeah, as a little, I don't know, little saint here standing up here on this podium that I can go to God with anything on my heart. I can go to God with anything on my heart. God doesn't want any fakeness. God doesn't want any super spirituality. God doesn't want anything that is not gut level authentic. Gut level authentic. And that's what we need to go to him. And you know what I love is I did a little peruse through scriptures. Abraham, back in Genesis 17, when God said, You're gonna, you, know, you, you and your wife are going to have a child. Abraham fell face down and he laughed. Said to himself, will a son be born to me a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? 
That's what he says back to God. Okay? Jacob wrestled with God. Moses, when he was told to go free the, free the country, free the Israelites, Lord, I've never been an eloquent neither. I've never been eloquent neither in the past since you have spoken. To, I'm slow of speech and tongue. Please send someone else. Job, Job and Job three and throughout what Job was going through, talk about challenges. Job over and over said things similar to this. Job opened his mouth and he cursed the day of his birth. Said, take my life. I'm done. I don't want to live anymore. Is that brutal honesty with God? That's cutting it. David, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts every day with sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Psalms is full of honesty and realness and transparency and not being afraid to come to the father, dad, with all the confusion and all the uncertainty and all the anger that you might have. Yeah, some of you are angry at God right now. And you might be a little afraid to express that. Well, God can deal with that if you express it and you bring it to him. Don't run from him. Bring your heart to him. Jonah did. Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Now, O oh Lord, take, he said it too, take away my life for it's better for me to die than to live. Because I came to tell these people they were going to die and you saved them. And I don't like it. That's what Jonah said. Okay? So we're seeing throughout scripture, we're seeing honesty and realness and transparency. And in a dialogue with God, really saying what it's really like for me. And I find that my most powerful times in prayer is when I don't hold back and I don't try to act like I'm happy, peaceful, you know, tranquil little Christian that's sailing along in calm waters. It's when I'm brutally honest with him and say, I don't like what's going on right now. I don't like sitting here in the Nevada Narrow. I don't like it. I don't like it when my printer breaks down. I don't like it when I have to go through the surgery I had to go through and all the recovery I have to go through. I don't like it. And I need to be real to you. And you know what? If we keep going back to God, you know what he does? In Luke, and you can look over at Luke chapter 22, he sent an angel to strengthen Jesus during this time. He sent an angel to strengthen him. God will bring strength. God will bring peace. God will bring things we need. It's not going to ch change the circumstances. Not going to change the circumstances all the time. You know, back in the Old Testament, Daniel and, the, and his three friends were going to face the fire because they were holding on to God and following God. And they went up and it's a great passage. And, he, and they say to the, the guy, they say, I don't care what you do. I'm not going to turn my back on God. Whether we get burned up or whether we live, I will follow the Lord. It's not about circumstances. It's not about our situation. It's about our relationship with God. Okay? That's what we need to f realize is it's all about relationships. This life is all about relationships with the people and with God. So let me wrap it up with this because it wouldn't be appropriate without saying the last bit and, and, and looking at this and seeing what Jesus did. He came in this honest, authentic, real, human way to God three different times. But I love this, Pat, I love when he says this. May, 
not my will, but your will, Lord. I can be as brutally honest with you and transparent and real and authentic, but in the bottom, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, here's my position with you, God. It's not my will, it's your will. Your will be done, and I submit to your will. We don't let emotions rule us. We don't let emotions take control of us. It's actually the Lord that takes control of us and we need to submit to him and we need to give him over and let him work it out the way he's going to work it out because he's got something profound to do in our lives or the lives of people around us. He's in the business of changing our hearts and the way he changes our hearts is through challenges a lot of times and through difficulties. He molds us and shapes us and takes us and so when you're sitting in the Novato Narrow or you're struggling with a financial situation or in your marriage, remember that phrase, not my will be done in this situation, but your will be done, Lord. That's what he told us to pray. He said, Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And our job is to submit. Our job is to give ourselves as a living sacrifice. He gave his life to us so that we give our life back to him and we allow him to work it the way he wants to work it. It's kind of like going to the dentist. How many of you like going to the dentist? Nobody does. Nobody likes going to, I hate going to the dentist. In fact, I've put off my dental appointment for the last two months, but anyway, I gotta go back. But imagine if you go to the dentist, he does the x-ray thing to you he looks deep into your teeth and finds, oh, you got a couple of cavities in there. Okay? We need to go in and get it out. And you sit there and say, well, you know, I know better. Let me look at that. Let me get an eraser. Eh, see, it's not there anymore. <laughs> you know, let's not deal with that cavity now, you know. Let's, let's, you know. You know what? I don't want to use that drill. Just do it with that pick. If you sit there and try to orchestrate this thing at the dentist, it's going to be mayhem. It's going to be more pain. What do we do a lot of times in the dentist when those kind of things come up? We submit. We, we trust. We hand it over. Some of us do. Some of us squirm. <laughs> Me included. But we hand it over to him. And in that moment, we say, not my will. And, and I don't want to make this too trite, but your will for the dentist. You do what you need to do in my life to make this happen, to heal me, to bring about change, to navigate through the challenges. And the same thing has to happen when we reach out to people and we reach out to the Lord. We say, Lord, this is, this is what I'm really struggling with. And you know, it's interesting because I was sitting over here and we were talking before the service started and somebody mentioned to me how cool this church is because this church, unlike a number of different churches they've been involved in, people are real and honest and willing to share their brokenness. I thought, wow, how cool is that? That's what we need to be doing with each other. We need to be sharing our brokenness. We need to be sharing our difficulties. We're not coming in here putting on the Christian smile and saying everything's fine. We need to hold each other up. We need to grab hands. We need to be like that bicycle group that comes back and helps the person, the, the, the guy, win the race and finish the race. That's what it's about. So here's the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Jesus tells us, actually, he shows us how to handle difficult challenges. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. It's what life is about. And, and God wired it into this life so that we'd reach out and we would depend on other people and we would depend on him. That's what it's about. Let's pray together. <clears throat> I'm so glad <clears throat> that we don't have to wander through this life and journey through this life without your guidance, Father. And that this word is rich. And your word, as we dig into it and we ask and we seek and we knock, we find things that help us to live the life you've called us to. And if there's nothing else, Lord, I would pray that all of us here in this room would leave this room today with that phrase on our hearts and on our minds, not my will be done, but your will be done in our lives, in our marriages, in our finances, in our job, everywhere we walk, your will be done. Thank you for this time we've had together. In Jesus' name, amen.